You're listening to IoT Leaders, a podcast from SI that shares real IoT stories from the field about digital transformation swings and misses, lessons learned, and innovation strategies that work. In each episode, you'll hear our conversations with top digitization leaders on how IoT is changing the world for the better. Let IoT Leaders be your guide to IoT, digital transformation, and innovation. Let's get into the show. Hi, this is Nick Earls, CEO of SI. And in this episode of IoT Leaders, we have another great healthcare story following on from a recent episode we had with Bioformis. In this case, it's Steve Sampson, who is the CEO of AccuHealth. You'll hear in this episode, first of all, how successful they are. They've just been voted the 108th fastest growing tech company in North America by Deloitte's. They're four years old. They're the number one remote patient monitoring company in America. And Steve talks about his journey from the Canadian military to today, his big aha on how healthcare remote patient monitoring is actually the same as cybersecurity, which certainly I hadn't heard about. And then talks about how once he made the device simple and got the right connectivity and the technology into the device, his business exploded in his own words, and how he's really just scratching the surface of what uh, he can do. And, and the benefits that he's delivering to some of the poorest people in North America. It's sort of all, all in this one episode. It's a really great one. And Steve's been a good friend of SI for a couple of years now as we've been on this journey together, probably longer. So with that, I'll hand over now to my podcast with Steve Sampson, who's the CEO of AccuHealth. So Steve, welcome to the IoT Leaders podcast. Thank you for having me, Nick. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. And in fact, just for our listeners, just to set this one up, because I'm really looking forward to this one. Steve's company, AccuHealth, have won a couple of uh, awards recognition uh, lately. They've uh, been voted the 108th fastest technology growth company in North America, uh, which is a big achievement. And also they are now the largest RPM, remote patient monitoring company in North America. So Steve, congratulations on those awards. I know you've you've not been going that long that you must be really pleased on that. Thank you so much and and yeah, we're we're really proud of our success. You know, we're a bootstrap company. I found remote patient monitoring and I just said, "Hey, like I think we can do this better than everybody else that was doing it at the time." And 4 years later, we're the largest company, we're the fastest growing remote patient monitoring company, we're we're 108th and the fastest growing companies in, in North America for technical uh, companies. And that was a Deloitte. So, that one was a Deloitte. That, board. That's that was by tough, Deloitte. Which is a tough, it's the benchmark, right? It's a tough one. It is. It is. You know, I, I used to work for PwC and, you know, when you work for the, the big four, you know, they take anything that they do very seriously. So the fact that we were able to score, just make the board was something that was an achievement for us. And being 108 was really, it really gave us a pat on the back because when you run a startup, Nick, especially a bootstrap startup, you're kind of always heads down. So, you know, you don't get to pop up and really see what you've done until someone comes and tells you that you've done a good job. So it's been fantastic and it's been a long four years, but it's been fun. So let's talk about the four years. And if I can go back to the beginning, in fact, maybe a little even further back just to get going, because I'm sure you've got everybody's interest right now. But what about Steve himself, Steve, the person? What's your background and what what path led you uh, to found AccuHealth? So... I get asked this quite a bit. And so, Nick, I never went to university or college. Basically, after high school, 
I was in a situation where I didn't know what I was going to do or what I wanted to do. So I ended up joining the Canadian military. And that was the best decision, you know, in hindsight that I could have done because it, it really took me as a immature teenager into a very organized time management individual or and a soldier at the time. I had a knack for IT and because the military at that point in time was kind of choose your own adventure, the, the military, it kind of got a bad rap. Everyone thinks that you go in and you're stuck in one position and you're, and you're really not. It's meant to develop you into a soldier, but you have so many different avenues within this function to be able to move around. So I was fortunate enough to move around in, in IT and I really took on cybersecurity. I, I found that I wanted to do something in security. So after I was medically released from the military, because I was in a pretty bad car accident, I ended up going and taking Cisco certifications, self-taught myself the way up in, so I could get some sort of accreditation for the stuff that I learned in the military. And I was able to get a job as a cybersecurity consultant for a firm in uh, Toronto, building security operation centers. And from there, my career basically exploded because that was really the turning point of companies really getting into cybersecurity and they know they needed to have some sort of logging tool. They knew they needed to have some sort of security operation component. So, you know, I was doing penetration testing and I was helping people remediate the issues and then going into the security operation components of things. And that took me across the globe, Nick. I was able to... I've worked for Accenture, I've worked with PwC, I've worked for some of the, the largest retailers in the world, I've worked for oil companies, I've worked for mining companies, I've been to a mine down in, in uh, Zacatecas, Mexico, looking at the way that they built their infrastructure to make sure that their critical uh, IT components were secure. And I'd been doing that for so long, and I, and I started working for PricewaterhouseCooper, and I was in three different cities every single week consulting at really large projects in hospitals and for pharmaceutical companies, you name it. And I just kind of got to the point where it's like, I'd like to do something else. You know, I've been doing this since basically the military. And the, by this point in time, it's 20 years in. I'm 42 now. I, I started AccuHealth when I was 37, I want to say. So I wanted to do something different. And I found remote patient monitoring. And what I realized, Nick, was that remote patient monitoring is the exact same as cyber ops. The, the exact same business model. Instead of having really expensive cyber resources, looking at a logging system, what we needed to have was nurses looking at a logging system that was able to ingest data, visualize data, and then get the information to the appropriate people, which in this case is the physicians. You know, Steve, I've never heard that analogy before. So maybe just double click on that because that's, that's actually really interesting. And we've known each other for a while. We'll talk about that. Yeah. But so remote patient monitoring, which is obviously monitoring patients remotely and uh, as opposed to in the clinical, formal clinical environment, we'll get into that a lot. But from your point of view, is very similar to the, the, the whole issue of security and uh, cybersecurity. Could you just unpack that, that yeah. a little bit for the listeners? Absolutely. So when you're dealing with enterprise cybersecurity, whether you're selling it as a managed service or you're selling or a company's building it internally, the concept is the same. You have a suite of tools that are generally ingesting information from globally or geographically diverse locations into a centralized location. And you have people analyzing it through artificial intelligence, through rule sets, uh, through predictive analytics, and you're looking for something that is not right. And when you find something that's not right, 
the cybersecurity person isn't job isn't to go remediate that. The cybersecurity person is to go contact the person who owns that asset and say, what is going on? And we work together to solve that problem. So if it's a compromise, we got to segment that device off the network, whatever it might be, might be larger. We have to do a breach analysis. We have to call in a breach team. It, it might grow to quite a bit of work, but the concept is basically centralized logging all of your information, having tools to look at it, and then actioning on the on anything that comes up as an issue. When you look at remote patient monitoring, patients are at home. They have a device that they're taking readings on. It's coming into a centralized logging solution, which is our tool, Evelyn. We have qualified people that are looking at the data coming in. We have rule sets set up. We have predictive analytics, and we have artificial intelligence to make sure that patients is this an expected reading for the patient or is this a common reading for the patient? Is this, what, is this what the patient usually has for this type of reading? Has it exceeded some of the thresholds? And when it exceeds thresholds, then we have a process. Contact the person that has the device, make sure that was it a true positive? Are they actually having those issues? And if it's really bad, then contacting the physician because they're the person that's the custodian of that patient to make sure that they're okay. And the goal of our of remote patient monitoring is to keep the patient out of the hospital and in the care of their physician. So it's the same concept of cyber ops. You're trying to contain something and keep something secure or safe where they are, but allowing them to continue to function as normal or, or, or live their life as normal. So we kind of had a little bit of an unfair advantage when we came into the space is that I've been building cyber security operation centers for a good portion of 17 years all over the world in both a managed capacity white glove service as well as building it internally. Yeah. So we already had the playbook. And when we walked in, we were able to build the world's first health operations center. We had a tool based off of cybersecurity tools to analyze and alert on readings. The biggest thing that we had, Nick, or we didn't have were devices that were reliable for patients to use. So that last mile connection into us and that's what led us into SI. is right. when we first started this, we were using inferior devices. I, I shouldn't say inferior. They, they were just really expensive devices and they were okay, but they had their own problems. They were very accurate, but the, the problem with it is that they weren't reliable. So we started using your SIM cards in those devices and we saw an immediate increase in, in patient adherence and patient troubleshooting because there wasn't as many cellular issues anymore. And just to jump in on that, and in every podcast that we've done, there's always a, as I like to say, there's always a device story uh, in there. And um, so we've got to the, this part of it really quick, and we're going to go into the business model and the problem that you solved. So we do it in the reverse order that we normally do it. But but yeah, when you say reliable, and that's when we first came into contact, your definition of reliable is that people make a lot of claims, don't they? They say, you know, oh, our SIM card connects to lots of networks, hundreds of networks, and, you know, and it's all about cheap data and whatever. But the reality is when you, when you really use them and you kick the tires because of combination of factors, like the complexity of the device, the firmware, battery devices, resets, power saving, switching between networks, uh, roaming agreements, permanent roaming, not, not being allowed. I mean, yeah. there's a whole plethora of things, which means in practice, they're not reliable in the sense you don't get anywhere near, you can't hop between networks seamlessly. It doesn't auto hop between networks and it, uh, and it, and it actually doesn't give you anywhere near hundred percent connectivity, which for your use case, it seems to me is absolutely critical. Yeah. Well, it, when you look at what we were doing, 
or what we do is we have patients that are in very remote locations in the United States and they have health issues. They have heart failure, they have high blood pressure, they have diabetes, weight management issues, or all of the above. So these patients and, and where we really cut our teeth, Nick, and I didn't know this until a couple months ago, that if you're starting healthcare in the United States, you either start in Texas or Florida. And if you can make it in Texas or Florida, you can make it anywhere. And we cut our teeth in Texas and Florida. Florida is our second state we moved into. But where we really cut our teeth in Texas was in a county called Star County. And Star County is the poorest county in America. And it also is the highest county with blood pressure and diabetes issues because people can't afford the best food. They can't afford the best so care. junk food and they're, let's, yeah. they're, large, they're large people with health yeah. issues. Yeah. And so uh, these patients are Medicare patients. So they're 65 years and older and they're also, they're uh, Medicaid. So we call them dual eligible. So that means they have two insurances and there's a special program in Texas that if a patient has, is dual eligible and has met certain conditions, they can be on this, what is called telemonitoring, the Texas telemonitoring program. That's where we started. And when we first started, and I said, we were using these devices that were great, they're good, but the SIM cards that were coming with it just weren't, they weren't connecting properly. So when we're, we're working with these cities that this kept this really poor county, as you can understand, if it's a poor county and there's not a lot of money into it, there's not a lot of infrastructure. So you have, you don't have a lot of options. So we were struggling on getting patients to take readings with their devices. So we were the first RPM company to use FedEx to deliver our devices. Our competitors at the time were sending nurses to the person's home, which you can imagine you can't scale a company like that. Our competitors were forcing the patients to take their readings, which is, you know, that, that's not a comfortable situation to be in. Our model was we're in a FedEx, we're going to get the most reliable devices we possibly can, and we're going to teach the patients over the phone how to use the device. And they're going to use the device whether they if they want to, and if they choose not to, then you know that's the patient's decision. Where we found that patients really didn't want to do the program wasn't that they don't want to take their readings every day, it's that they don't want to deal with the troubleshooting of devices every day. Yeah, yeah. So as soon as you're troubleshooting with something you every single day- device easy, you solve the yeah. problem by making the device easy, yeah. So we had, come. some of our competitors are using cellular devices with SIM cards that didn't work. Some of our competitors, and it's still to this day, people are still trying to do it. They have Bluetooth or Bluetooth hubs. Doesn't work. Yeah. What happens I mean, is adherence? Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, we, we had a podcast. You may have listened to it. We had uh, Milan Shah, the CTO of Bioformis, talking about that. They're solving a, a different problem, but in healthcare and treatment at home. But they, he was talking about that their generation one was a device was Bluetooth, which everybody went for. And there's kind of two weaknesses in that. One is... The demographic that you're talking about, like you said, a lot of them over 65, they're not the ideal generation to make sure that the device is always coupled to the, mm-hmm. to the phone. And secondly, frankly, the device has to be in physical proximity to the phone and people would wear the device to go to bed, which is what yep. they're supposed to do, but the phone would be charging in the study downstairs. And and it yep. just didn't, it didn't work. And the number of companies that we see in healthcare that started with Bluetooth and then, and then saying, this ain't going to work. And, and that's exactly what, what you just said as well. Yeah, it's Bluetooth just doesn't work. I will say that to the day I die. It just doesn't work in this situation. I have a smart car that opens up when I walk close to it with my phone. It is Bluetooth paired. And that doesn't pair properly. 
So, you know, you have an expensive car and an expensive phone and they can't, and it doesn't work properly. How are you going to have a device that's made in the most economical way possible, expect to pair every single time to a phone? So what, what we found with Bluetooth is that adherence is really high for the first month and then they run into problems. And then the next month it goes drastically down and you're constantly dealing with troubleshooting. And what happens is patients are bringing into the doctor's offices and then the doctors are now troubleshooting devices instead of being doctors. So you immediately start losing business on that. I've heard some companies are starting to use Bluetooth hubs, but just like you said, proximity, they'll have a Bluetooth hub with a cellular backhaul. So you got to find a place in the home where the cellular network is good. And then you got to make sure that, you know, that they're in proximity of it and Bluetooth doesn't really go all that far. And if people, and they have to have this kind of like health station in their house and it just makes things uncomfortable. So when with, with cellular devices, that everything's embedded, you're eliminating a whole bunch of stuff. You're eliminating a Bluetooth hub, if you had one. You're eliminating a cellular backhaul for that device. You're eliminating the expense of that. You're eliminating using the patient's phone and and the data that they would have on their phone to be able to transmit their readings. And a lot of these patients, again, being in very poor counties, don't have expensive data plans and don't want to use data unless we are paying for it. So when, when we got Asai and our SIM cards into these these first generation devices that we were using, we saw an incredibly large increase in adherence, a decrease in troubleshooting, and an increase in, in doctor satisfaction. And, so, and you and told me, Steve, you there's so much here. You you told me when we were well, you've told me previously, but also preparing for this, some of the metrics that you measure your business. If I've got this right, you talk about avoidable. Uh, let me make sure I've got this right. Avoidable hospital visits, yes. avoidable hospital admissions. And so that's how you you measure. You don't measure your business at, at, at the patient end, where you do, yeah. but the real benefit that you're delivering is at the other end of the value chain because you're taking yeah. the pressure off the healthcare system. So maybe you could share some of those yeah. stats. Yeah, so it, this is the only business I've ever been in where everybody's the winner. The insurance companies are winning, hospitals are winning, doctors are winning. Patients are winning and AccuHealth is winning and everyone's happy. And so why we measure avoidable hospital visits is because Medicare is an insurance company mm-hmm. that pays for this service. So if they're not saving money, then there's no point in having the program, right? So they're the ultimate people that we need to satisfy. So we were having, we were struggling with how do we show that the benefit to the insurance companies, how do we show the benefit to the hospitals? And so with, because we have, we're the, one of the only companies that have a healthcare operation operating center, we can actually track when patients are saying, I'm going to go to the hospital because I don't feel good. And we're able to say, no, 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 let's call your doctor, get your doctor involved. And 99% of the time, the doctor can handle the issues. We have patients that are having panic attacks. They're just having panic attacks. So their blood pressure is really high. And then they take their blood pressure again. And because they started with a panic attack and their blood pressure is high, then they take another blood pressure and it's high. And now they're on the phone with a nurse and they're just having these attacks. And they're like, I'm having a heart attack. I have to go to the hospital. Looping in that physician to close the loop is able to communicate with the patient and say, calm down. You're good. Let's take it. I can see your data. I can, as I understand it, the, the physician is not only proactively perhaps even you know reaching out to them mm-hmm. because you know the phone goes this is your doctor but who they trust but also it's not like they're using a, a fitbit or it's not like they're using a, a strap-on wearable 
we're talking here clinical devices that yeah. normally you'd find in the hospital environment, right? It's, it's this is not uh, the sort of standard stuff that, that the younger generation wear to monitor their health. Yeah. So it, what we use is common homemade devices. They're home grade medical devices that you'd find at a Walgreens or Walgreens CVS or, or yeah, CVS yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. The difference between ours is that it has a cellular modem in it. Right. That's it. So it's a regular looking blood upper arm blood pressure device. You take a reading and the readings are transmitted. So the doctor is actually able to see the readings in real time and say, hey, you know, your blood pressure is actually not that bad or take another half pill or I want to see you right now. Right. Don't go to the hospital. I want to see you in my office and, I'll, and I'm there. So there's a number of times that happens throughout the year. So we started recording it. And as we started recording, we started looking at what the hospitalization cost was if someone was to go into the hospital. So if a, someone goes into the hospital and they have Medicare, they're essentially getting billed about $13,000 for the visit. Wow. And that might be, that could turn into $100,000 if they end up staying for a very long time. So because we were able to reduce and we're going to hit, we're going to be at, we're just under 10,000 avoidable hospital visits this year. And we're up in and around the $150 million dollars saved for Medicare. So we're able to show the CMS that we've saved you $150 million and we're just getting started. The hospitals aren't getting patients anymore that are flooding an already crowded system with something that they don't need to be in there for. The doctors are getting more touch points with their patients and the patients are getting a more concierge level care because they, they're not just dealing with their doctor, they're dealing with AccuHealth staff who are able to have kind of this back end into the physicians. And then on top of that, Nick, because these devices are, are cellular enabled, we're getting the readings and I'm taking those readings and I'm putting them directly into the patient's electronic health record. So the doctor has it for the history. Um, so, the, okay. so the next time the patient goes in for the reading the or their whatever appointment, whether it's quarterly the or anything. has got all the data there everything. So there's no, they don't need to write down anything. They know, oh, your temperature was this, your weight was this, your SPOT was this, your blood pressure is this. A lot of people have white coat syndrome. You go into the office, you take your blood pressure, it's high because you're nervous because you're in the doctor's office. Now the doctors are actually getting blood glucose throughout the day, blood pressure through, throughout the day. If they measure it once or three times, we're, we're putting those in. So the doctor's getting a better understanding to how you're living your life at home. And so you have a series of devices, which measure these devices exist anyway you're making them ubiquitous you're making them cellular connected we've helped you do that and, and and sort out a lot of the issues that we talked about previously in the device part of the conversation so we've worked together on that and then you are um and your portfolio of of, of devices is growing because there's yes. a big field so you see we talked a lot about the patient benefit so how do you persuade and of course i'm speaking as a european i used to live in the us so it's different systems um, I wish we had a single uh, EHR, I tell you, in our National Health Service. But anyway, that's another subject. How do you persuade the doctors to use this service? I mean, are they, yeah. are they the people that you have to convince? Because if the doctor recommends it, then the patients will follow. Is that kind of how it works? So, yeah. So we do B2B. B2C for this doesn't work. People right. will buy the device for their parents. They won't buy it for themselves. But really, people want to do what their doctor tells them to do. Yeah. Right. And, and like anyone that doesn't want to do follow what their doctor is going to do, like that you're, you're not going to get them on the program anyway, but the majority of people want to live a healthy life. So they do what the doctor says. So what the United States with the way their healthcare system is, whether, you know, whatever opinion to have it on is whether it's good or bad, Medicare incentivizes the physician by paying them to 
render the service to the patients. So the doctor's able to earn more revenue because now they're adding a new service for their patients and the revenue is pretty substantial because the savings are very substantial. So physicians are motivated because they're generating more revenue for their, their clinic, but they're also motivated because they're able to get ahead of issues with their patients. So a lot of patient, a lot of physicians, they have to report on their scores. Like, how did I do with blood pressure? How did I do with diabetes this year? So they're being compensated for providing remote patient monitoring, but they're also being compensated. They're also getting bonuses at the end of the years from certain insurances for improving blood pressure, for improving blood glucose and keeping people at the hospital. So that's how we're essentially having physicians sign up is we're saying we have the best of connected devices that are one but plug and play, one button, easy to use. We integrate with your electronic health record. We do billing for you. We have staff because everyone is understaffed right now in, in the world. We have the staff to be able to be an extension of your clinic. We're able to be concierge to your patients, whether they're phoning us or they're uh, mm. secure SMSing us. And you're able to get better data on your patients and you're able to review a very concise report at the end of the month. And you're able to have an educated meeting with your uh, appointment with your physician, your patient when they come in the next time, and you're able to correctively fix whatever issues they might have. And you're actually seeing your patients more often because patients that are running into issues, you can have them come in. We actually went as far as to build a request appointment button in our, in our system so that when that happened, when someone pushes a button, we're able to call the patient because we're commun in communication with them saying, doctor would like to see you. Let's get a meeting, an appointment set up. So it's all about keeping patients in the care of their physician rather than going to the hospital and removing that burden that's expensive. We started at the beginning talking about you've won these growth awards. So just to put people in, in context, you, you're already, you talked about bootstrapping the company, which is, which is amazing that you've been able to do this just from a management perspective. But also you're not small. I mean, without giving exact numbers because we power your devices and we help design the devices and get them certified, et cetera. We know that, you know, you're already, let me just say in, in six figures and let me put uh -huh. that, uh, but that's just a fraction of the market, isn't it? In, in, because people are getting, people are turning 65 all the time. And yeah. this is a huge, America's a huge place, but what you're, you're not describing anything that's uniquely American either. Be, I mean, maybe the, no. the, the way the doctors work, the EHR, but you know, I'm sitting here, as I said, in the UK, we've got exactly the same issues, a reactive health system. Uh, it's a global problem. So the addressable market here is huge, right? It's huge. It's, in the it's US. huge. You can go to more devices. You can go sideways into more devices. You can go into more of the US and then there's global. So uh, it's, it's a huge opportunity. It, so the, the numbers that, uh, that I see, and you know, you got to take these with a grain of salt, but like one in five, one in three people have hypertension. So there's, well, I think I saw something that we just crossed 8 billion people in the world. Yeah. That's right. So there's, Safe to say, a billion people with hypertension, right? Yeah. So the market is, it's not just contained to the United States. The reason why the United States is so much further advanced on remote patient monitoring than any other country right now is because of the the, the insurance company and the way that yeah. the that is You've got a positive provided. financial incentive because yeah. of the insurance. Yeah. U.S. healthcare costs, which we all look at from abroad and go, oh my God, I can't believe it. That's what it costs to go to a hospital when ours is healthcare free at the point of delivery. We look at, but that's actually in your case turned into the incentive to, to people to adopt this. 
Exactly. And, and I'm Canadian, so I come from the Canadian healthcare system. Right. And I would like to bring the product that I built and very successful in the United States back home because I know so many people that need it, but there's just so much red tape to get this going. Where in the United States, it's because it's a free market, you can just get going. And, and that's why we were able to bootstrap this. People can say what they want about the healthcare system, whether it's good or bad. You know, the United States healthcare system, you know, everyone has their own opinion on it. Yeah. But I can decisively tell you that we are helping patients that would never have received any of this help in any of the systems, where, where, wherever they are in the world. We're able to keep people connected to their physicians that are very remote. Some of these people live eight hours away from their closest doctor. Wow. So we're able to, like, because we have quite a big population in Alaska. So we're able to, people don't see their doctors ever. And sometimes doctors don't even, they have to travel, doctors have to travel five hours for the other person to travel five hours to see the, see them. So now that we're able to connect people and have telemedicine built in, in, into Evelyn and, and have these well-connected devices that are accurate and we're able to report on that, I have a number of physicians that are logging into the platform every single day, our platform, even though we put it into their EHR and they're able to go and check on their patients and say, I'm going to talk to this patient today because their blood pressure might be higher. This person's blood glucose is way out of whack, so they're not following their diet. I'm going to see what's going on. So we have a number of engagements like that. And engagement is just going up and health outcomes are getting better because we are also educating people on blood pressure and blood glucose and what it means, right? It's, I've learned so much and I'm not a physician. I've learned so much about blood pressure and blood glucose and weight gain and weight loss and water retention and everything that comes along with, with the diseases that we cover. But what I do know is that if you teach someone, these are the numbers that are good and these are how you get better numbers. In 26 days, you will see an improvement of patients on remote patient monitoring because they're just seeing the data every day. Sort of a Fitbit for the masses, but mm -hmm. a better version of it with a doctor at the other end. Steve, it's a wonderful story. As I said, we uh, were delighted to be your partner on this journey and, and going forward. I, I think that a lot of listeners will be fascinated by this. One other thing about whichever way you look at it, it's such a huge opportunity. We there was healthcare. We go to healthcare shows just as an aside from our perspective, and I think you've been to a few of them. And what you find is that most people are still trying to plug away with the old model. And you know, we talked about the Bluetooth and the mm -hmm. and whatever. And and what we're seeing certainly in healthcare is this model of the cost of cellular has dropped. And if you can solve the technical issues of the device and make it a one button press, you can just yeah. make the device easy, which is not easy to do, but that's what we do. But if you can just make it easy so it can be used by a 70 year old patient who doesn't use technology. And, mm -hmm. and if you can solve that problem, you can solve huge issues in society, huge, yeah. massive benefits. And, and then in your case, the insurance companies are cheering you on because they're making less payments out and uh, everyone's winning, cost of healthcare is going down. So it is a great story. I'm sure you'll win many more awards. It's per it's a perfect fit for the sort of thing that we want to do on the uh, IoT Leaders podcast, which is bring stories to life, make them real by uh, having the people who who have actually got a successful IoT project talk about what they did. And and uh, your journey from the uh, Canadian military today is very, I know you're down in Florida now, very, very impressive. So I'm sure you're very proud as of what you've uh, built. Unless there's anything else you really want to share with people, because I'm sure you are heads down and implementing, given the value that you've got people screaming for your products. I was uh, going to wrap it up here. Thank you for your time. 
Thanks for being our partner here at SI. And thank you to our listeners for listening. I think this is about the 30th one that we've done. Somebody told me the other day. It's growing in popularity and it's because of great case studies like this that really makes it such a popular IoT podcast. So Steve, uh, we'll leave it there. And thanks very much for being my guest today on the IoT Leaders Podcast. Thank you for having me, Nick. It's always good talking with you. Thanks for tuning in to IoT Leaders, a podcast brought to you by SI. Our team delivers innovative global IoT cellular connectivity solutions that just work, helping our customers deploy differentiated experiences and disrupt their markets. Learn more at SI.com. You've been listening to IoT Leaders, featuring digitization leadership on the front lines of IoT. Our vision for this podcast is to be your guide to IoT and digital disruption, helping you to plot the right route to success. We hope today's lessons, stories, strategies, and insights have changed your vision of IoT. Let us know how we're doing by subscribing, rating, reviewing, and recommending us. Thanks for listening. Until next time.